You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of In the Open. This is M. Skay Hill. America and Teresa aren't able to join us today to host, but I am here with our one and only Schroeder Stribling, CEO and President of Mental Health America, continuing on our Pride series. And today we're going to talk about what is gender, and I'm confused about my gender. Um, And Schroeder, I'll let you intro yourself if you'd like. Hi, Em. It's so nice to be here with you on the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me and happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. This is a great way to start celebrating um, Pride Month. And uh, especially as we just come off of May as Mental Health Month and have so many important things in our mind about supporting mental health and now to move into Pride Month in a time when all those of us in the LGBTQ community are so concerned about the mental health and well-being of our community members. Great to start with this conversation. and I really appreciate the invite. Awesome. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. So last week, Teresa and Kate talked a bit about gender in the brain and more of a neuroscience perspective. And so today we're moving more into a lived experience lens of thinking about gender. Um, And so important to note, both Schroeder and I um, are assigned female at birth or AFAB and have spent a lot of time thinking about the concept of gender identity. I know for me, a big piece of it is I quite frankly just don't understand what gender is. I understand biological sex, but beyond that, to me, it just feels like personality traits that anyone can have. So I'm curious, Schroeder, what is your own understanding of gender? What does it mean to you? Well, one of the reasons that I was excited to have this conversation with you, M, is because you and I are of from different generations. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine, I'm really curious to hear about your perspective and to compare our experiences in this way. So for me, just generally speaking, I came out as, when I came out, let's put it that way, I was a late teenager. Mm -hmm. And at the time, so I'm I'm in my mid-50s now, And at the time, there were really only two options. You were gay or you were straight. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody was asking about that other dimension. You know, we hadn't yet kind of separated out the concepts of sexual orientation is one thing. Gender expression and identity is another thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we didn't have all the letters put together, all the LGBTQ. You know, we Mm -hmm. were just sort of like gay or straight. So what I find really interesting about this is that it's the con- the cultural conversation in the last few years about gender is that what it's bringing up for me personally as someone who frankly never thought about it that much and didn't and wasn't asked to think about it you know the the question on the table might have been are you gay or are you straight but nobody was asking do you feel more male or more female So those questions to me are really personally interesting. And I think what's happening culturally are are interesting too. And I have a lot of my own sort of personal head scratching going on about it. Yeah. How did that start? What, What brought that up for you as someone who did grow up not thinking about it and not having it as an option? Well, one of the things that I have really been, I guess, sort of 
or it's made a great impression on me is the way to say it, is how quickly we moved culturally into adopting the notion that the gender was a thing that we ought to recognize and respect in one another. So it seemed like overnight, especially perhaps because we went to living on Zoom so much, it seemed like overnight the notion of announcing one's pronouns or letting your communicants and in conversation know what your pronouns were was a thing, whereas it hadn't been a thing before. And that to me has been what really triggered a lot of thoughts for me personally, because to be honest with you, Em, and I would love to hear what your experience is about this too. I have a very hard time because I don't find really any of the options that are available, ones that really resonate with me. Mm -hmm. When I grew up, you would have probably thought of me as a tomboy in a certain sense. And, but I also was a very, very serious ballet dancer. So I had a kind of my own duality, I guess, in Mm -hmm. what, what would be considered typical gender expression or gender norms but I felt like, you know, my identity was, my sense of myself was sort of as a, as a tomboy. And I still have that sense about myself. And what I, over my lifetime, you know, in early years, I used to, we talked a lot about being androgynous or feeling androgynous. And I guess that was the zone where I felt most comfortable, but no one was asking you to declare that on your Zoom screen or your email footer or anything like that. So where it feels in some ways like a whole, another layer of a coming out process and self-discovery process. So I am going to make a big confession to you, which is that I do not have my pronouns listed on my email footer because I can't yet figure out what feels right to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is so fair. That's something that I think about a lot when I'm registering for things and they require pronouns is is some people don't know yet or aren't comfortable outing themselves in that setting. But if you require them, it requires them to misgender themselves to be able to join whatever they're trying to join. And yeah, the difficulties of that. How do you handle that? So I use she, they pronouns generally. um, And that does feel good to me. What I do go back and forth on is demographics, if I check off female or non-binary. And I'm still figuring out if that is just a fluid state that, you know, will kind of go back and forth depending on how I'm feeling on the day, or if it's still a working up to fully identifying as non-binary. I think something I definitely experienced when I started using she, they pronouns was a lot of imposter syndrome and feeling like I wasn't quote unquote non-binary enough or queer enough to be taking up that space. And a lot of it, you, you make a good point that it does feel like that kind of exploded overnight. And I remember seeing like TikToks being like, oh, this like she, they trend and people coming out and being like, it's not a trend. Like people are just realizing who they are. And a big part of it for me was going virtual when COVID hit and so much of gender is performance and just how you show up. And so when we took that all away and I didn't have to ever perform femininity 
it was like, oh, I find myself a lot more neutral than what I've thought I have been. Yeah, that's such an interesting story that you tell. And so interesting about the imposter syndrome thing. And what was coming to mind for me when I was listening was the the one term of all the things that are now sort of options out there in the world, although this is not often one that comes in the list of boxes to check, but the one that probably feels the most comfortable for me is gender fluid. Because my experience, and I guess maybe the when you were talking about the performance of gender, my experience has been, I've often said to my friends that, you know, most days, no matter which way I dress, I feel, and I'm speaking here about dressing for work, as, and although I realize that work culture is changing and how people dress for work <laughs> is changing, but mm-hmm. think about it you know, from a more traditional perspective. I would tell my friends that most days when I dress for work, which I would feel like I was cross-dressing in one direction or the other. And, and frankly, I didn't mind that, you know, I sort Mm -hmm. of enjoyed the opportunity to, you know, be a little more this way or that way. And then I do, there is a happy middle ground space that does feel very androgynous to me, which if I'm going out with my friends on the weekend, that's the outfit you'll find me in, hopefully, if it's in my closet. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I've been thinking too about just gender in society and having, you know, being assigned female at birth and growing up socially and socialized as a girl. It's a lot easier for girls and women to present as tomboys than it is for boys and men to present in a more feminine way. And, you know, there's a whole dynamic there with sexism and masculinity being accepted while femininity is rejected. But that's something interesting, too. And especially with your background growing up as a tomboy, but also being a serious ballet dancer, having that that split in both of those pieces to you. Yes. Yes. And I really do. I mean, I, I think there's a part of me that really identifies with drag culture because I appreciate the notion of part of gender as play in some Mm -hmm. ways that the performance of it is um, in part the, um, I don't know, the it's an opportunity to be, you know, out in the world as, as one wants to be in sort of a um, playful or self self expressive and self accepting way. Yeah, absolutely. I was having a conversation the other day about how, you know, obviously the gender binary is put onto us, but a lot of it is also how we regulate ourselves. And we see these social norms and we uphold those social norms. You know, women uphold the patriarchy all the time. Queer people uphold the cis-heteropatriarchy all the time. Um, It's actually something I've noticed with myself with having she, they pronouns, exploring, you know, a disconnection from femininity is where aspects of toxic masculinity will come into play with me. And I will have to reject like, okay, that's not how we're going to play around with masculinity. But that is so the social norms of, of, you know, femininity versus masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting that, yeah, that's very interesting. 
did you, uh, while you were growing up, did that tomboy side of you feel like something you had to repress or were you very comfortable kind of walking in both, both sets of gender expression? Well, I have to say that I was very comfortable and I'm not sure that I can tell you all of the reasons why that is, but I, but I do want to, I will tell you a story about my name in just a second, but I, I think of a couple of things. I w I was in supportive environments. I, for one thing, I grew up in New York city. It, things were progressive. It was the seventies. I had a gay father. My biological father was gay. He died long, long time ago. And, um, of AIDS, unfortunately. So I'm a second generation queer person. I grew up around some gay culture. The word queer hadn't yet been reclaimed for us really, but we were getting there. So they would have called it gay culture. But I, you know, I grew up in a, in the times when the gay pride parades were starting and I was in a city where you saw them. And so maybe that's part of how I had the opportunity to feel safe and comfortable in who I was. I was also in supportive environments. And interestingly, I, you know, I went to single sex schools. I went to girls schools as a kid and I found them very accepting places for me. And when I first came out to my friends in high school, my, I found a lot of acceptance there. I don't think that in some ways is the, the norm, but I, I credit the community I was in and the background that I had and maybe also being having had a gay father and knowing that there's an intuitive knowing that children have about the goodness of their 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 parent. You know, my father, who who himself was very rejecting of his gay identity and it was a great burden to him. And it, he was a, a religious man. He had been a minister and he felt this was a sinful aspect of who he was, sadly. But I always knew as his child, like, of course he was good. You know, they, they, that being gay had nothing to do with anything. You know, it, it just didn't have to do with whether or not he was a good or worthy or lovable person. And I knew that intuitively. And so maybe that's also part of how I came to be able to feel comfortable in my own skin around both gender expression and, and sexual orientation. But I'll tell you an interesting story. And People often will ask how I got my name. And while I don't often tell the story, I'm happy to tell it here. And it seems a good way to celebrate Pride Month. I was given my first name by my friends who were all girls when we were about 10 years old, who were convinced in a very... Um, like happy, excited way that I was just like the little boy Schroeder on the peanuts. And so they started calling me Schroeder and then it just stuck. And all my friends. That is so funny. And then my, and then my, my mother joined the, the band, I think, and my family joined the band and it became my name. So ever since I was 10, I really haven't been known as anything else. But isn't it interesting? It's a it's a it's an androgynous name, or it's mm -hmm. um, not a feminized or masculinized name, and the it. But it is associated with a with a boy, or they associated it with a boy. So clearly, like an early nod to some amount of gender nonconformity on my part. It makes me think of my dear stepfather, who um, I often 
teases me and things or moments or stories like this by saying, well, calling Dr. Freud. Um, <laughs> it doesn't take much to figure that out. Yeah, that is such an interesting story. Um, so when how, you said friends brought that up to you, female friends brought that up to you, what was your response to that? Did that feel like, did it fit with you? Like, did you feel like in on the joke with that? Or Well, it didn't feel like a joke. It felt like uh, it felt like their kind of delighted kindness in some way. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, these were, there wasn't anything, there was nothing unkind about it. It was, I mean, they, they liked me. I mean, frankly, they were, they were, we were <laughs> this is, we, a whole bunch of, you know, girls, young girls in puberty deprived of boys around them. Maybe I was the subject <laughs> of a, you know, a little bit of a projected crush of, or something. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's taking, maybe that's um, too self-aggrandizing, but anyway, (laughs) but it was kind. It was meant in kindness. And I knew that. And I, I just went with it. Yeah. That's really cool to back, you know, in a year that is not 2023 to have that conversation so casually. And I think goes to say too, how accepting kids are and how just naturally understanding they are of how stupid some of this binary stuff we put on society is. Yeah. And it is so easy for them to accept. I remember my mom's a third grade teacher and a few years ago I was in her class and one of her students was asking where I lived at the time I lived with my parents. I just graduated college and she was making fun of me for that and was like, you don't have a boyfriend to live with. And I was like, no. And she was like, well, what about a girlfriend? And I was like, no to that either, okay. (laughs) But like progressive, you're eight years old. Um, And just the fact that it was just such an immediate assumption that like, okay, if I didn't have a boyfriend, maybe I had a girlfriend. And it's just so cool how we are still seeing that with youth and the way that, you know, they they don't have that kind of stuff ingrained in them. Yes, I think that, I think that's so true. But I think this of your generation too. I mean, I really think you're, pushing us and nudging us along in a lot of ways that we need to be pushed and nudged. And I think gender is, is and identity is one of those frontiers. I don't know, what, what was it like for you growing up? Or how did you come to this first sort of experience or awareness? Growing up, I was definitely not girly, but I wasn't super a tomboy. I would say I did mean more tomboy than, you know, girly girl. I think part of what made me feel very different from other girls my age was middle school, early high school, when everyone started getting boy crazy. And I did not. <laughs> and was like, all right, something's different. Did not cross my mind that I could be queer at all. And then a little bit later into, into college, into you know, when COVID hit a few years ago, and I started thinking about things more. At first, I thought it was internalized misogyny and in like an intentional disconnection from my femininity because I didn't want to be seen as a woman because of the patriarchy, because of society, because they're quote unquote weak and not as powerful as men. And as I started doing more research and undoing that, I was like, that's that's not why. That is not actually what I think at all. I don't want to be seen as a woman because I don't entirely feel like one. And you mentioned earlier not having your pronouns in, you know, your email and whatnot because you aren't sure. And 
I think that is something so valid too, to still like forever be in that questioning process and constantly undoing that. I, I love what you're saying about how the, you know, kind of the contextualizing the experience. And I'll, I'll tell you something funny. When I was your age or a little bit younger, say in college, that arc of experience that you just described that you went through, we would have called that being a political lesbian. There were plenty of political lesbians, ones who were against the patriarchy, who then may or may not have become actual lesbians, but that was definitely one of one of the arcs or experiences. And, you know, my feeling about this gender pronoun thing is that, you know, I might feel more amenable to putting my pronouns on my Zoom screen or my email footer if I could change them every day. That's sort of how I, I feel about it. You know, it's not that she feels entirely wrong, it feels a little more right than he, but sometimes he feels, would might feel okay. So I just feel like in some ways, I, I feel akin to what I think I have felt from your generation. And you tell me if this is accurate, but this almost even a bigger meta questioning of like, why do we have to define it at all? Yeah. You know, I kind of am who I am. I'm like this and this is... Some days look a little more this way or a little more that way. And that's because that's how I'm feeling that day. And I'm just the way I am. And there isn't anything that, that feels a need to be boxed about it. Right. Yeah. And I think that's very similar to where I'm at. And I mentioned this earlier that I, I just don't understand the concept of gender. And something I've kind of grappled with is, knowing that there are binary trans men and binary trans women out there and trans people who have thought through gender identity and decided that they are a binary man or woman. I trust that. <laughs> I trust them. I trust that they've done the work to determine that they are a true woman or a true man. And I still just can't fully conceptualize what that means. But I suppose that is just the two of us being more in that state of gender fluidity and not not seeing that. Right. But I have to credit the trans community because I remember distinctly the years. So in my 30 odd years of this journey and experience or, or more than that, more than that, 40, I guess, I recall quite clearly the times when, you know, the trans community and the gay community were really split. Mm-hmm. And you know, they would be protesting the HRC dinner because we hadn't yet put the T along with the L and the G and the mm-hmm. And that was a painful split. But here again, goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. I think it's when we finally conceptually, and I, I don't know how this happens in a, in a culture, how this sociocultural evolution moment happens. But when we finally separated those concepts of gender identity and gender identity expression and sexual orientation, I think that's when a lot of us who, I'll say myself included, really understood on a deeper level. Not that I didn't always feel like this was a problematic split with the trans community. I did think it was, but I really understood why we needed to be in common solidarity because most of us 
as we've been talking about, just even through the experience of being gay or queer or whatever we've called it over our lifetimes, most of us have had some experience of not conforming from a gender perspective to, to some expectation out there. And so when realizing, you know, like, oh yeah, I grew up a little bit, you know, like I was a bit of a tomboy and my friends gave me a boy's name and, you know, I feel that. And my dad, I know, suffered from people calling him as he's growing up in the fifties in Missouri and people calling him a sissy and things like that. So gender nonconformity for a lot of us has been a part of the experience. And so when realizing that, and then you put that on a spectrum, which goes all the way to being trans, right? So that's when I think a lot of us in our community really understood why this solidarity was so, so, so very important. And our mutual advocacy was so important. And of course, at this moment, when we're so concerned for that for the literal safety, not to mention mental health and well-being of the trans community in particular. It's just something to, I don't know, I'm just keeping it that that notion of our solidarity and our need to be all in one and for each other is so critical right now. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking too about Pride Month in general and what it means. Today, it definitely has a lens of just celebration, just, you know, rainbow shirts and stores and everyone's excited to make everything rainbow for the month. And then July 1st comes and everyone disappears. And I know last year I spent uh, New York City Pride weekend in the city and getting off the subway and coming up to the street there, I felt more connected to the origins of pride and queer ancestors than ever before. And thinking about where pride came from, it did not come from just exciting parades and celebrations. It came from riots. It came from needing to stand our ground. And you mentioned the connection between the LGB community and the trans community. It was the trans community that stood up, that was on the front lines of that fight, that you know got us marriage equality. And we need so much more than that. Those were some fierce drag queens at the Stonewall Inn that night and those Absolutely. nights uh, uh, over, during that, that time period. And, and we owe a lot to that history. And it's something that, you know, really so, so important and to be remembered. And, and to your point, you, I agree with you, you know, Pride Month comes and, and goes and yet it's a continual for so many, uh, something both to celebrate and to navigate. And this year, I have worries for our community around the country uh, and this Pride Month. And I'm hoping for a safe Pride Month and a happy Pride Month for all. Um, but But I have concerns given what we've experienced recently. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a it's a scary time. It's hard to hold that, you know, excitement and celebration because I do love Pride Month. I love being queer. I love the queer community. And that is, you know, June is when I feel most connected to our whole broader community. But yeah, it's scary this year. I think about, you know, every time I go to gay bars, I am looking for the exits. I know my plan. And going into Pride Month, feeling that 
you know, we can't celebrate or we are putting our lives at risk if we just want to celebrate who we are. Yeah. Tough time. Tough yeah. time. Yeah, definitely true. One thing I wanted to go back to, you mentioned the term queer. And I think a lot about labels and just language and wording and growing up in a time where that was not an available label to you. And it was just starting to be taken back as a slur or from a slur. I know there are still a lot of older generations who are not okay with that word. So I'm curious about your, your take on it and how you kind of came around to that feeling right for you. Yeah, that, you know, that's such a good question. And actually it's something that I was having a conversation with my mother about recently because I do now use the term queer myself because frankly, it, to, to me, it, it fits the most, you know, for one thing, I think I appreciate, I appreciate its history. For one thing, I appreciate that it's been, it's a reclaimed word. So that mm -hmm. in and of itself, I think probably has a little bit of meaning for me, but more significantly is that what queer means, and if you used queer outside of the context of any of this LGBTQ stuff, you know, and uh, just the English language, it means different. You know, it means, you know, not the norm, like not mm -hmm. in the middle of the bell curve. And I really think of both sexuality and sexual orientation and gender expression and identity on, spec on a spectrum, both of those two different spectrums. And for some people, they intersect at this point. For other people, they intersect over at this point. It really is unique. But what I have found in my 56 years is that neither one of them is fixed in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a six on the Kinsey scale. I'm not, uh, you know, either way, all the way on the gender identity and expression scale either. So the being in the middle or being both or being, you know, different from, from the norm, but having it be on a, a, on a fluid spectrum, that's kind of where I feel most comfortable. So that's why I use the word queer. Yeah, that's great. That makes a lot of sense. I, yeah, that feels like, feels like where I'm at as well. Um, I think that's a great place for us to wrap up. Do you have any, any last words that you would like to share? No, other than just to say thank you for inviting me and um, thanks for doing this Pride Month podcast and happy Pride Month to you. Happy Pride Month to you as well. Thanks everyone. We'll be back next week. Keep remember to fight in the open.